Okay, so um, today our message on September 25th, 2011 is called Mere Man. M-E-R-E -E, and then man. Mere man. Uh, as we get to the book of Exodus in the Bible, which I'm going to ask you to turn to, I would like to tell you that the Hebrew names of the books of the Bible tell a story. They tell a story that is worth hearing, a story that is your story. It's the story of every human being that's had any encounter with the Lord. Genesis. That sounds great, doesn't it? It's what you're used to hearing. You may never have turned to the book Bereshith before in your life. But Bereshith is the Hebrew name for Genesis. So when Jesus wanted to read from a scroll that talked about in the beginning, he read from Bereshith. What is interesting is as you do this, the five books of Moses are Bereshith, Shemoth, Be'igra, Be'midbar, and Devarim. That is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the reason that they are Hebrew names is because Hebrew names have meanings. And when you read them together, it would say something like, in the beginning, these are the names of those who were brought into slavery. But he called for them while they were in a desert and gave them his word. Devarim. Bereshith means in the beginning. Shemoth means names. Be'igra means and he called, he being the Lord. Be'midbar means in the wilderness. And Devarim means his word. Isn't it interesting that the way that God gave us the very first five books was to tell our story? From the very beginning, he knew our name. He knew that we were entrapped, enslaved in something. So he called to us. said, there's a way to meet with me. You need to look around you, friend. Your life has become a desert, but I want to give you my Devarim, my word, and it will change everything. If you've ever read the book of Bereshith, you know that when the Lord speaks, it changes everything. The world as you know it exists because on six days, He spoke. <laughs> His word came and it changed everything. So when I told Lisa at this altar, God is giving you His word and it will change everything. Everything. I wasn't lying. It is the story of creation, of recreation, of new birth. It is the story of the Bible. And it is the first five books. So if you thought the law was boring, you were wrong. You were lied to. If you thought that it was a shackle around your neck, you were also lied to. Somebody misunderstood a man who lived in obedience to the law but taught that Gentiles did not have to keep cultural customs of the Jews. I'm sorry that the church has not done a good job of portraying these things, but what I do want to tell you is that everything God gave us was good and nothing is to be discarded. And that from the very beginning, the story is the same. Darkness was hovering around lives, but God's Word came in. And he separated light from darkness. Yeah. All the rest of the Bible is commentary on this principle. He is separating light from darkness today. His word will separate even your thoughts from the motives that produced the thoughts. Your soul from spirit. Our God's word changes everything. What a mighty God he is. Amen. In the feast schedule... We have gone through Pesach, Passover. We have gone through Hag Hamatz, 
That's unleavened bread. We have gone through Rashith, first fruits. We have gone through Shavuot, which is weeks. And Wednesday night is the first of Tishri. All of Israel waits for a trumpet to sound. Not actually a trumpet, but a shofar. A ram's horn. They wait for the king of the sheep's authority to be sounded. Something that has been hollowed out of flesh and blood and filled only with the Ruach HaKodesh. The Holy Spirit of God. The breath that He gave a man comes back from the man as an offering to God. And it is like the Spirit of God. When they hear that sound, they know it will be ten days in Yom Kippur. The day where the whole nation is atoned for. What a good feeling, friends. If you've ever carried something too long, <laughs> what a good day when you finally are free from it. You might then go celebrate something like Sukkot, the time when you had to tabernacle in this corruptible tent. <coughs> but the Lord took mercy on you and He poured His divine presence in you. What an amazing feast schedule. Rosh Hashanah begins Wednesday night. Matthew will have some more to say about that along with some other things. But I wanted to tell you that as we move forward towards that Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, it reminds me of something that we see every day. What an underdog story the Bible is. He's always taking people who are in slavery, people who are in the wilderness, and His Word is changing everything. It's like the magic pill that they found. It is, it is uh, Mark McGuire's secret shot, I guess. It changes everything. So as I began to think about Sukkot, I thought about these tabernacles of flesh, right? And the king from on high reached down and filled them with something. His divine presence, his word, his spirit, and it changed everything. As I began thinking about the Lord doing this, I couldn't help but get an image of a man sticking his hand down into a glove. I mean, you think about it. If we had a glove right here, it wouldn't stand up quite straight. It'd kind of slouch a little bit. But it would look like a man's hand. It'd take the form of it. It just lacked the real substance. So when the wind came, the glove would fall over. So God stretched out his hand and inserted it into that glove, into that tabernacle. And then he made a fist. And he went to work getting rid of the enemies of God. He did that in the man Jesus. Amen? Amen? It's funny. People may not know how to respond in church, but if you're from the South, you know how to say amen <laughs> in church. As I began to think about the, the hand of God, I thought of some ways that I might could relate this to you. You know, there are stories like Rudy, the blind side, Rocky, all of these take something that looks insignificant. You remember little Rudy Rudiger? You know? He's like 5'7", and he wants to play for Notre Dame. It's before y'all's time? Okay. Or, or Rocky, you know? Little bitty Italian white guy that's going to beat up everybody. It's laughable, isn't it? But something inside of you craves it because you want to believe that something that is of little account something that has no real strength or structure of its own, if injected with the right combination of something, can be more than it is today. This is what our message is about. As I began thinking about that, I couldn't help it. Uh, September 1st, 1923, 
a guy named Rocky Marciano was born. He's the son of two Italian immigrants. I, I've never understood why every old man that I ever talked to about boxing, you know, today people talk about somebody like Mayweather or Pacquiao. Uh, in the old days, if you talked to anybody that was over 40 or 50, they were talking about Rocky Marciano. And then I began to look at his story. He's a sickly kid. He got kicked off of his school athletic team and he was a high school dropout. That's kind of an underdog story, isn't it? He wanted to box, but couldn't find anybody to train him, so he went to dig ditches for a living. He had various jobs, but none of them were spectacular. And in 1952, he had a record of 49 and 0, and 43 were by knockout. You know why? He had a devastating right hand, Mike. When he hit people, bones began to shake. He had unbelievable, unlimited power in his right hand. If you think of Jack Dempsey, Joe Lewis, Joe Frazier, Big Fat George, Cassius Clay, they all had devastating power in their hands. And it was usually their right hand. A lot of boxers have claimed this, but Joe Lewis was the one that originated the quote. Everybody has a plan until you punch them in the mouth. <laughs> One of the most memorable periods in boxing history, and a lot of you lived through this, was when Cassius Clay, from 61 to 63, correctly predicted what round he would KO his opponent. Yeah. He would say things like, in the round I call, they fall. <laughs> the world was captivated by this. It made him the most <coughs> memorable sports figure in a century. In 1964, he got the round wrong, but he beat Sonny Liston. He was a 7-to-1 underdog. 43 out of 46 sports writers that were polled said he could not win the fight. But he did. The devastating power of Rocky Marciano's right hand was a thing of wonder. Cassius Clay's ability to finish his opponents in the round he called was amazing. His underdog victory in 64 was inspiring. But it all pales in comparison. It's a mere shadow of a shadow when you look at the way our God moves with his right hand. Are you in Exodus 15? Let us see in the book of Shemoth what the word says about our God. <laughs> then Moshe and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots in His army He has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Have you ever heard the expression, that guy dropped like a rock or a box of rocks? Yeah, you didn't know that our God was the first one to throw a knockout punch. But he was. Egypt was the world's power. It was the heavyweight kingdom of the day. And all these things that it says that our Lord did, it says in verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. Bone 
crushing power. Now, who was the Lord's right hand? I mean, the Lord led them all out of Egypt, didn't he? And the Lord brought them into the desert. And the Lord eventually took them into the promised land. And the Lord took them through the Red Sea. And the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord. <laughs> Except that the Word says God is spirit and can't be seen. Show us the Father, Lord, and that would be enough for us. You remember Philip said that to Jesus? He cannot be seen, so where is his right hand? Well, whose arm did he stretch out over the sea to split it? Moses. Moses. Whose mouth did he use to speak to Pharaoh? Moses, Moses or really Aaron. <laughs> yeah, how about that? When the Lord wants to do something, he reaches down into mankind to do it. He puts his divine presence, in some cases temporarily, on some and in other cases permanently. He puts his hand into mankind to do what he wants done. And this, friends, is why you are called the body of Christ. Amen. See, it's not just a figurative title. It is supposed to be an actual reality. The Lord is a warrior. He told Jeremiah, you are my war club. See, it's not the Lord that actually strikes the enemy. It's the Lord that fills the man to strike the enemy. Who knocked down Goliath? Was it David or was it the Lord? The answer is it was a mixture of both. See, something happens when there is a divine mixture between the earthly and the heavenly. When you take dust but breathe God's Spirit into it, something miraculous begins to happen. Amen. Amen. How dare us limit ourselves to only what dust can do. <laughs> One kid asked, Mom, what is but dust? Excuse me? Man is butt dust? No, it's not butt dust. It's man is butt dust. We don't want to be butt dust. Friends, our society is slipping at a rapid pace. Our military has changed. Our cities are changing. I read yesterday that in San Francisco it is no longer illegal to be naked, completely naked, in public. No longer illegal. Y'all saw the same article, Steve? Yeah, that's right. So a mother's walking with her seven-year-old girl. They're going to see a screening of a new release of the movie Little Mermaid, and she has to walk past 12 degenerates who are completely <coughs> naked with her child. This is dust, friends. Yeah. This is dust. <laughs> Somewhere, somehow, the people of God need to have the presence of of God poured into us so that we are more than dust, more than natural. Friends, what do you call something that is more than natural? Supernatural. Supernatural. This is what God has called us to be. You are not ordinary people. You are supposed to be more than that. Something more than ordinary is called extraordinary. This is what the church is. Too long our religion has been dry and dusty. <laughs> It is time to get the water of God's Spirit to remold us into what we are called to be. The church is sick, tired, wearing 200-year-old clothes, Charlie. And somebody has to be the arm of the Lord. Amen. Brother Charlie read me a prophecy that the Lord gave him in 1993. Charlie's not the kind of man that writes down prophecies for no reason. But it was a vision that he had. And we both sat and wept in the car because it couldn't be more accurate today. The church is always saying when the Lord comes, He will fix it. And the Lord is saying, I have filled you. You do it. We 
sit back and say, Lord, come quickly. And the Lord says, you go to the lost. Can I write a check instead, Lord? Dust. It's all dust. And it's going to blow away. It is going to blow away. What we have that is of worth is the union of the heavenly and the earthly and a renewed, remade human being. Somebody who is now a new creation walking in the power of God. Turn with me to Psalms 20. Tell me when you're there because we have to get going. In Psalms 20, we're going to read verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He answers Him from His holy heaven with the saving power of His right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall. But we will rise up and stand firm. You can get knocked to the ground. But if you are the Lord's right hand because His divine presence has stretched down into Natalie, you cannot hold her down. This means that Suzanne has more power than the heavyweight champion of the world because while Suzanne's knees might not work perfectly, or maybe she doesn't make a fist that looks like that one, the living God is working through her frame. So when she prays, the heavens move. Amen. An extraordinary person because an extraordinary God is in her. Amen. Friends, we need to not settle for the ordinary anymore. We do not have to accept our fate. Oh, well, we came from the dust to the dust will return. Consider who said it and why. Guys, we are more than that. The Lord will answer us with the saving power of His right hand. And what might that look like to you? It might look like Mike coming to help you work on your house. It might look like Charlie showing up to help you fix your car. When you're in trouble, if you're of Him, He is going to reach down into someone who is willing to be His vessel. And they will be used by Him. This is what the work of God looks like. But we sit back, cross our legs and arms and wait for the Lord to reach down from heaven and do the work on earth He has already told us to do. Reinhard Bunker said it best. He said, you will stand and you will pray for the will of God and I will run you over from behind doing the will of God. Friends, He has told us so much already. So much already. It requires His Spirit. Is your spiritual life dusty? Do you have difficult paying attention in church difficulty? Is, have the things of God for you become commonplace? Is it all just a little bit like one more service, one more thing to read, one more thing to do, one more check to write? Maybe we need some spiritual water on our dry and dusty soul because the union is an amazing thing. Do you think that the Methodist church started the way that it is finishing? I tell you the truth, it didn't. All you have to do is read history. Do you think that the Baptist church started the way that it's finishing? It didn't. This happens because God's Spirit is slowly moved out in favor of mere natural instincts. And the more that happens, the more it's but nuts. You can place the emphasis wherever you like. Are you on in Psalm 44? No, because I didn't tell you to go there, but I did, man. 
In Psalm 44, let's look at those first verses. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what you did in their day, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our fathers. You crushed the peoples and made our fathers flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But to you, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we will make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. If this was an American, he wouldn't have a bow. He wouldn't have a sword. He wouldn't have any of those things because he's simply waiting for God to do it. Are you kidding me? You're the most powerful, intimidating thing in the spiritual realm. It's not to angels that he subjected the world to come. It is to the Son of Man and those who have become children of God. He has filled you with His power so that when we speak, they move. The heavens tremble at your word. If only you can walk with Him. If only you can hear what He says. In the church, we ought not be struggling with some of the things we're struggling with. A lack of confidence, a lack of image. Uh, the idea that we need to exalt self. All of those things are because we are not experiencing the power of the Holy Ghost. Friends, when you get filled with that violent rushing wind, you don't just sit reverently and fall asleep at prayer time. When you get filled with that violent rushing wind that looked and sounded something like tongues of fire, you find it hard to sit around and listen to what happened to somebody when they were two and a leaf blew in the window and they needed to see a psychologist ever since. Because you have met the great physician. He has taken up residence inside of you. There is unlimited knockout power for you. Why do you think little boys like the, the cutest commercial I've seen on TV in a long time is a little boy in a Darth Vader outfit. And he's working Big Baby. He's doing the force on Big Baby. And it doesn't work. He's discouraged. So he runs off. He's outside at his daddy's car. Happens to be a Volkswagen for the Germans. And he's working the force on the Volkswagen. And it doesn't do anything. His daddy sees him out there. Waits for him to work the force some more. And then he hits the auto start on the car from inside the house. Darth Vader's suddenly six feet tall. Our Father is waiting for you and He holds the button in His hand. But if you don't stretch forth your arm, nothing is happening. He needs a willing vessel. He needs somebody who doesn't give up a big baby. Who doesn't give up the first time they try, but will pray until they see the healed. Amen. They will pray until they see them filled. Yep. Because if you don't, who will? Yep. I prayed for a woman or pictures on the wall that did not get healed. And why would you do that? Why would you put somebody on the wall that didn't get healed? Because if you won't carry them to the altar, they'll never get healed. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that we don't see success every time. But if we fail to even try, you will never see the success. Amen. I'm telling you, church, when will we try? Yeah. 
I preached to you last Sunday about cisterns that will not hold water because water is what you need. And I'm saying let the Word of God repair our cisterns. I preached to you Wednesday about the son of encouragement because we need it. This church is headed the right direction. Young people are selling things and giving away the money. People are having God-led ideas about missions jars. They're helping each other move. They're celebrating years in the kingdom. Lives are changing. Amazing things are happening. The difference between us and the Salvation Army or some other charity, though, is that we are ultimately completely dependent on the Spirit of God. There is nobody that's going to give you an automatic matching funds for giving to our projects. You're never going to be able to go into Kroger's and say, well, yeah, just throw on a few dollars with a can of soup. It'll help somebody somewhere. That's never going to happen here. Whatever occurs here will occur by an utter and total dependency on the power of the Spirit. And there's only one thing that gets in the way of that in our lives. It's our intellect and our pride. Friends, we're worried about how we'll look. We sing that, whom shall I fear? And we get the song right, but we don't live it right. We're worried about what looks dignified. Have you noticed that the largest churches in our nation were once spirit-filled? So what do you mean once? Aren't they still spirit-filled? Well, if they are, they sure hide it from the TV cameras. There's no, there's no moving of the Holy Ghost. Why? Well, that's just not palatable. What gives us the right to decide what is and is not palatable? Paul said these things must be done in the church. But instead, what we do is we say, well, you know, we, we do them in our secret home meetings <laughs> uh, where there are no cameras, there are no, maybe the world needs to see what we are. If they look and just see <coughs> dust, they might say those people are but dust. How about Psalm 80? This is my favorite. Are y'all with me today? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Psalm 80, pick up with me in verse 14. Return to us, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire at your rebuke. Your people perish. Does anybody know the setting? Shake your head if you know the setting. Then I'm going to tell you the setting. Israel has experienced rebuke from the Lord. They've been chastened by their enemies, and it hurts. They feel like the, the vine that the Lord planted to consume the whole earth is burning up and perishing. And they're crying out for help. I know none of you have ever felt far from the Lord. None of you have ever done something you shouldn't have done or refused to do something you were supposed to do, and you felt like you were just going... To become dust and blow away. Listen to what the next verse says. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. 
Now, friends, this speaks of Israel's national salvation. This is what is typified in Yom Kippur. But if you can look past his most immediate meaning, which ironically is probably obscured from most Western readers, don't we need to be revived? Don't we need to be restored? Paul made much of his ministry to Gentiles, just like us, in the hopes that some of his own people would look and be jealous for what we have. When you look around, you see TBN, are you jealous? I'm not. I don't want purple hair. I don't want gold thrones. I don't want a God who is serving me to make me rich. Some kind of King Midas God. Church running around looking for gold dust and angel feathers because they've lost their minds. Or rather, they've depended solely on their minds. Mere natural instincts. So the church has become debased. It runs around seeking profit. It runs around the non-profit organization has become a fisher of funds. No longer do we have legitimate miracles and healings in our services. Instead, we see silly things like, your foot feels better, doesn't it? You better say yes. It feels better, doesn't it? Here, look, friends, it grew out. Look, it grew out. And then CNN comes in and it ruins thousands of people because they see what a sham and parlor trick and charlatan service it is. We don't have to live like that. The power of God is as real today as it was at the day of Pentecost. And if we don't believe that, friends, if we won't strive for that, if we won't do anything necessary to move in that, then we are wasting our time assembling here. Because with all of your talents, all of your beautiful abilities, it amounts to about a minstrel rag in God's presence. That's what Isaiah said. The only thing worthwhile is when He sticks His hand inside of you. Yep. And He plays you like a puppet or like a master plays a guitar. And when you're in harmony with Him, when you're on key and when you're tuned in, it is like a heavenly symphony. Amen. And it's not as hard as you think. It starts with just denying yourself. Realizing that everything that your flesh wants, it doesn't it. It's not the master of you. It starts with saying, Jesus, you are my example. You are the right hand of God, and you are not you're not going to like this. You are not in some special class for me to simply admire and look at from a distance. You are the example for me personally to imitate. To step when you step. To do what you did. The problem with us, saints, is 2,000 years after the cross, we see Jesus' divinity and we forget that he operated as an anointed man. We forget. We're so tied up in Jesus being divine, and he is divine. I, I'm not going to refight the Asclenasian Creed with you, okay? I'm not going to argue with you about the mysteries of the Trinity. I'll tell you, a lot of those words are not in the Bible, and I invite you to search the Scripture and understand it yourself. But I want to tell you, this side of the cross, we use Jesus' deity as a cop-out. We say, yeah, but He was God. Of course He did that. How did He do that? He was God. Friends, God doesn't get tired. But Jesus got tired. So well, how is He God and He got tired? 
he limited himself and became a man. Yeah. The scripture says it. Philippians 2 says it. He got tired. He grew in wisdom and stature. He was dependent upon the power of God because he's your example. He's your eldest brother. He's your Messiah, your Savior. He shared in your humanity to show you how to do it. Yes. And instead, what we've done is going, he's that guy that we're going to make out to be a little bit like a golden idol. Jesus should be worshipped, but the way that you worship him is you do what he did. Yeah. Oh, I know, I'm treading on serious doctrines here. Well, we'll all just have to get over it, won't we? If you question at this point whether this pastor thinks Jesus is divine, you haven't listened closely enough. But what I'm telling you is we've emphasized it to the point that we've excused ourselves of walking as he walked. And the scripture requires it of us. Are you stuck with the feeling, I can't walk as he walked? Of course you can't without his spirit inside of you. But the purpose for his spirit inside of you is so that you can walk Amen. as he walked. It's a little bit like he's inside. He's going, I can't move my legs. He goes, here, let me help. <laughs> Lord, I, I don't know how to say that. It's okay. Watch this. You say it like this. <laughs> but he's a gentleman, and he does not make you do anything. He waits to see whether you will follow his leading or you will grieve him, quench him. And friends, when you quench him once, it's easier to quench him twice. By the time you've done it four or five times, it can become habitual and he is no longer steering your ship whether you speak in other tongues or not. Amen. We need to knock the calluses off of our hard hearts and say, Lord, in all sincerity, what do you want of me right now? And then believe that he speaks. When I tell people this, they come back and say, I've been praying all week and I don't know. Once I go back and listen again, you didn't listen right the first time. Do you really think with our nation going to literal hell in an absolute hand basket, there's nothing for us to do? I'm proud as could be that one family said, you know, we can make some message doors. That may seem like a small thing to you. But let me ask you, would you take the small thing that was done or the great thing that was only thought about? Isn't that a fair question? Yeah. Yes. Amen. I would rather have all of a dollar than none of the thousand dollars somebody dreamed about. The Lord starts with an obedient and willing people. We increased that recently too. Come with me to Matthew 22. Let me consult the board for just a minute to see if we're going to be allowed to preach a little longer. Yes, we are. <laughs> in Matthew 22, let's start in verse 41. If you don't know what to do with my foolishness, take it as just that. It's foolishness. Every other word I say is inspired. The words between them are the idle words I'm going to have to give an account for. Matthew 22, here comes verse... 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, this is Psalm 110, by the way, The Lord, Yahweh, 
said to my Lord, that would be Jesus in the analogy, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Yahweh found a man. That's a man, Mary's pregnant with a promise. Mary's child is a human being because he was born of a woman, but the father was God. And the method by which she became pregnant was the Holy Spirit overshadowed this woman and the, the promise that God had given to all mankind suddenly brought conception in her life. And the result is somebody that the Lord could say, hey, Lord, sound like God's talking to himself? He kind of is. He poured himself into a man. And that man then reflected everything that he did. So the father could go, and Jesus would go. It's the perfect image of an invisible God. And he said, through you, I'm going to take all of the enemies. And I'm going to make them a footstool for your feet. This was a way where the heavenly could so fill the earthly that we could bring the earth, which was in rebellion, back into subjugation to the sons of God. This is what the Bible story is about. And it started when God took dust from the earth. And he went, and a human being that was made to rule the earth popped out. And he's still doing that. He's still blowing into human beings if we're willing. We can be a merger of the earthly and the divine. We simply need his spirit. Turn with me to Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, let us pick up in verse 62. <laughs> then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes. It is as you said. Jesus replied, But I say to all of you in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is the Christ, the Anointed One. In the Bible, the Anointed One is the Messiah. But you are the very members, the organs, the cells in his body. What this means is that if you've died, you come back with Jesus at the right hand of the Father as one of the holy ones. If you haven't died and you're alive at his coming, you rise to unite with them in the air. And that God's presence that in its fullness is poured out in Jesus is distributed among all the members of his body. And you know, even as you're known, and you are God's temple. So, well, Eric, some of this sounds new agey. No, it really doesn't. It sounds biblical. What has happened is new agey cults have adopted some of the language. Let me ask you something. If you wrote a song and you copyrighted the song, and somebody else began using some of the lyrics of it, should you abandon what was true and what was copyrighted? Psalm 82, the scripture actually calls Israel gods. It's a little G so nobody gets nervous. Little chips off the big block. And Jesus quotes it in John 10. 
He says, does not the scripture say you are gods? And yet you'll die like mere men because you have not done the things I told you to do? Saints, we're supposed to be so much more than ordinary, dull, dusty. Anybody in here got a coat? David's got a coat. Elijah took one of those things, rolled it up, slapped the water, and it split. Anybody got a walking stick at home? Look out, ocean. How many of you have read about some great men of God? Smith Wigglesworth used to have a crowd lay hands on themselves, and bones would crack and snapple. Snapple, that's a drink. Crack. <laughs> I can't say it. You know what I mean? <laughs> they make noise. <laughs> As they came back into place. How much smaller is your Bible than theirs? I think what these people knew was that they were utterly dependent upon God's Spirit. And they did their best not to get in His way, but also not to resist Him when He moved. In John 4, 6, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures. This is John. You can turn there if you like. In John 4, 6, <coughs> Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well at about the sixth hour. Jesus, in my opinion, had journeyed through the night. It was now six in the morning and he was tired. I'll explain that some other time closer to Easter, which is really not Easter, by the way. That's the name of the foreign God. But I think you know what I mean. And he was exhausted. In Hebrews 2, we hear it said like this. This is Hebrews 2.14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but it is Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in a few ways. In every way. What was Jesus like? Well, to most people, he looked like an ordinary guy. Dust. But something had been poured into him that Paul's epistles declares was the fullness of God. The deity in bodily form. Well, ultimately, aren't we different than Jesus? Yes and no. Jesus didn't have your propensity to quench the Holy Ghost. Jesus did not have all of the baggage to deal with. He had never gotten it wrong. On the other hand, Jesus' whole life was about taking on all of your baggage, taking on your propensity to grieve the Holy Ghost so that you could have forgiveness for it. Ultimately, isn't it kind of an insult to him to say, oh, well, we could never do what you did? Didn't he tell us that if we had faith in Him, we would do what He did. In John 14, doesn't He say you'll do even greater things? Now friends, usually if you hear those kind of scriptures quoted, somehow somebody today has twisted it into why God wants you to have a Mercedes or a Learjet. How absurd. How utterly contemptible, ridiculous nonsense. But you know what you can do? things that Jesus did. And I tell you, one thing that was certainly a limitation of Jesus' humanity is if he was here talking with Cassidy, he couldn't be back there talking with everybody. 
if Cassidy was in Australia and Irma was in the U.S., he could not talk with them both at the same time, could he? There's a limitation that God doesn't have that Jesus had. So he did something very special. He went to the Father. And he made a way for you to be credited with righteousness. So that what the Father poured into his perfect vessel could be poured into your vessel that was now credited with perfection. And now suddenly Irma could be ministered to by the Spirit of Jesus if she was in China and Cassidy by the Spirit of Jesus if she was in Texas. This is why I said it was better for you if I go away. If I don't go away, the counselor won't come. And what do we think it is? Look, well, at 13, we'll go. You've received the Holy Ghost. Are you kidding me? But in the charismatic church, we haven't done a lot better. What's it mean to receive the Holy Ghost? You speak a few syllables in another language. Friends, that at the very best is the beginning. Being filled with the Holy Ghost is so essential. It's, be, it's become an optional add-on. There's a beautiful Lincoln out there. Yeah, they decided not to get the sunroof. They could have got the sunroof, but they didn't get the sunroof. That's what the baptism of the Holy Ghost has become in church. It was so essential that men who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, men that had already performed miracles, seen the dead raised, he said, I do not want you leaving Jerusalem until you have this. But we've decided we, uh, you know, that's just how some people worship and not other people. Friends, this is the power of God for salvation. This is Amen. the deposit inside of us guaranteeing that we hit the mark he's aiming us at. It is your power to live as something other than a slave to sin. His word points you to it. His word tells you how to walk in him, in the power of the Holy Ghost. But guys, if we could do this without the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, what did Jesus have to die for? Israel had his word. He had to die so that you could be made righteous, credited with righteousness, and the Holy Ghost could indwell you in a permanent way. How could we set that aside? How could we say, well, if God wants me to have it, I'll have it. How can we do that? Why don't you do that with salvation? Hmm? Steph, if God wants you to have salvation, then you'll have it. Well, Calvin didn't do that with salvation. But aside from that ridiculous nonsense, we all know that for salvation, we have to do something. No. You have to trust Him. That trust is expressed in actions. But we think that to receive the Holy Ghost, it's, if He wants me to have it, I'll have it. <laughs> did, did you get cable television that way? <laughs> Who in here has cable television? Raise your hand, please. Y'all are lying. You are so lying. I've been to most of your houses. More than three people in this church have cable television. Just to be clear, cable is when something plugs into the back of your TV. How many of you have cable television? Did God want you to have cable television? I'm not picking on you. I have cable television. Well, I'm going to assume so if you have it, right? Yeah. So did he show up and just screw it in the back of your TV? <laughs> you mean you had to you had to ask for it? You might have had to wait, and what did they tell you? I'll be there between eight and five. You had to travail for it. You had to travail for it. 
And it probably was not as convenient as you would have liked. But now you're glad you have it, don't you? Put that in there. Yeah, sometimes. That's right. <coughs> sometimes. Wasn't it worth it? And that's cable television. What about the power of God under the salvation of men? Perfect John 10. Y'all bored with me? No. It's okay if you're bored with me. You better not be bored with the Word. It's hard to help somebody that does not love the Word of God. And if you don't love it, it's because you're not eating it enough. You know, I was told that if I ate more broccoli, I learned to love it. That was a lie, but I was also told that the more I studied the Word, the more it began to make sense to me. The more I developed an appetite for it, the more I would crave it. And let me tell you, friends, that is true. So what's not true of cauliflower is true of the Word, even if they're both good to you and sometimes don't taste right depending on how it was prepared. Uh, are you in 10? Yes. John 10, let us start in verse 33. I lied. Verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Before we move on from that point, Regardless of what the words are in Greek, what the words are in Hebrew, in English, in most Bibles, it says mir. In French, mir, M-E-I-R, not M-E-R-E, -E, means pure. In Latin, miris also means pure. Pure can be defined as mixed with nothing. In other words, it's not contaminated with any other matter. But think about then what we're saying about Jesus. You are purely a man. Regular dude. Nothing at all special. Nothing mixed in. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, then how do I do the things that God does? Don't believe me unless you see me do what my father does. But if you see that, then believe the miracles themselves. Was he purely a man? I argued that Jesus was human. But was he only human? He was something much more, wasn't he? Because he had become God's right hand. God's divine presence had stretched down into him. And whatever Jesus did was what he heard the Father do. What he saw the Father do. He had become a mirror for God. So that when you looked at him, you were not exactly seeing the Father, and yet you were. <coughs> you were looking at a mirror, but you were also looking at the Father. Are you called to something less than that? Get out of your mind for a minute that you can't do it. Okay? Because it was never your job to do it by yourself. Are you called to something less than that? Doesn't the scripture say, be holy for I am holy? Doesn't the scripture say without holiness no one will enter the kingdom? Doesn't the scripture say do not be deceived, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? And then he lists all kind of unrighteous things. So what is he saying? He's saying when I move, you need to move. When I speak, you need to speak. You cannot know the thoughts of God without being filled with the Spirit of God. By the way, I'm going to read you something before we turn to our next passage. This comes from Jude. This is Jude 17. 
But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold you. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, do not have the Spirit. There have always been people in the church that said they had a creed, but the Holy Ghost was not in them to do God's deeds. It's always been that way. And yet we're told today, oh, we don't do the spiritual gifts in the biggest. I mean, it, it's so divisive, you know? Not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, it is unifying. You know what's divisive? <laughs> Mere, unmixed, unpolluted, pure, natural instincts. Because it's disgusting to God. I won't tell you what Isaiah said about it again because you heard it the first time and it was yucky to hear it the first time. But we can be something more than that. By the way, does anybody know what the next verse in Jude says? I know, I didn't tell you to turn there. It's okay, I'll read it to you. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up, oikotonome, edify yourselves in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. If Paul said he prays with his mind and he prays, oh, I pray with my mind and I pray with my spirit. He says in Corinthians 14, I wonder what he means when he says pray in the spirit. Well, let me ask you something. If you are seeking the answer to that question, if you wanted to know something about diesel mechanics, you probably shouldn't talk to somebody that's never owned a diesel. I went and asked my pastor 18 years ago what those kind of scriptures meant. He told me to stay Baptist. It's where all the resources were. You know what? I didn't leave with a clear understanding of what any of those scriptures meant because I asked a man who didn't know himself. He was just following natural instincts. And his instincts told him, you need to stay where there's resources. What kind of resources, friend? Man's or God's? Man's will build big buildings. Might draw big crowds. But it will never set people free the way the Holy Ghost set free people free today. Never. When the Lord spoke to me, he reached down into a diseased glove. Something that was wretched, ruined, torn. And when he put his hand in me, he made me whole. He made me righteous. I wasn't any more righteous that moment than I had been five minutes before, but he credited it to me because for the first time in my life in a vulnerable way, I wanted to change me. That summed it up. That's all as an 18-year-old I was articulate enough to say. Everything about me is wrong. Everything about you is right. Make me more like you. Change me. And he's still not done. He is still not done, but that's not an excuse not to let him down. He has work for us to do. When you come to a church and there's a building and a parking lot and doors and lights and all the stuff that you see here, you can forget how it got here. Started with two scared little kids, his knees were shaking together, filled with insecurity and thoughts of failure. And every time we began to assemble what looked like a crowd, a crowd greater than two, Somebody told us it wasn't worthwhile and left. Called the people that we thought would encourage us the most. Said, come visit. We'll buy the tickets. We'll feed you. We'll do whatever. We could use your help. 
and got here and said, there's nothing happening here, man. You should move to some other state. Nothing about what God has done here came from the abilities of any human being. They came from reverent submission and the power of God's Holy Spirit. They came in breakthrough moments where marriages were saved, not because I knew what to say, but because the Holy Ghost gave me what to say. They didn't come because I could persuade Matthew and Cassidy to come to Texas. They came because the Holy Ghost persuaded them to come to Texas. I grew up with a lot of worship leaders. I could have picked any of them, but I could never pick the one that the Holy Ghost picked to work with me as an equal. You understand what I'm saying? Nothing works in the kingdom by democracy. Nothing works in the kingdom by our best judgment. Our best judgment, friend, brought death into the world. Our best judgment brought death. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. Does that agree? Yes. Yeah. Let's go to John 14. I will not put you through a hundred more scriptures. We'll go from John to Acts to Peter. Okay? Now in Acts, we might read a hundred scriptures. But we're going to go from John to Acts to Peter. I know we've passed that, that meter where your butt dust is starting to hurt. <laughs> and uh, the kids are getting overworked back there. I'm sure all of that's true. But let me ask you something. If you left this meeting without the equipping of the Holy Ghost, then all you did was waste the torture of your gluteus maximus. That's all you did. But if you leave with something, it might change the world. Amen. 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 Here comes John 14. Let us start in verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. If mere is to be purely man, unmixed with any other matter, a Christian should be anything but mere. Because we should be thoroughly intertwined like leaven working its way through the whole batch of dough with the divine nature of God, the counselor that is the Holy Spirit. He should be showing us what is to come. He should be illuminating to us the words of Jesus. He should be directing every facet of our lives. If this is the one time in church you hear me say, do not be pure. Do not be purely human. You are called to be so 
much more than that. Amen. We're called to rule like a prince of the universe. God takes us like Jacob. And he says, you were a trickster, a deceiver, a supplanter. But I will make you a prince with me. How does he do that? Is it through going to Donald Trump business school? I'm not going to name all of the prophet schools of ministry that we hear on TV all of the time. I don't think any of the disciples paid tuition to Jesus. I don't think he wanted them. Either. I think he wanted all of their lives. By the way, how much tuition would be too much? How much would be enough? What do you pay for something that's priceless? You know why we don't sell it? It's not ours to sell. Everything I got, I got because the Lord gave me and he usually used another man to do it. How dare I sell it? You know, how are you going to build a big school that way? Well, I guess we're going to have to depend upon the Lord. <coughs> Even in our preschool, I don't think the collections cover the uh, materials. Why would you do something like that? Because they're not investing in us, we're investing in them. This is how the Lord works. He wants to invest in you. He wants to pour himself into you. We'll sing Empty Me every service for a billion years. But it's just a song if we don't empty me. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 2. I left that out right here, didn't I? I don't mean to make these mistakes. The Lord's not done with me yet. 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what the Lord has prepared for those who love Him. Oh, well, we just can't know. Oh, well, we just might as well give up now. I mean, who knows what the Lord will do? What's that next line say? But God has revealed it to us by His... If you don't have any idea what God is doing, then you need to ask yourself, is His Spirit inside of me? You do not have to get a letter from the papal authority in Rome to know what God is doing. And if your papal authority is in Springfield, Missouri, you don't have to get a letter from them either. The Holy Ghost ought to be showing us what to do. What's coming. Let me ask you something. Has anybody got their finger in the air, spiritually speaking? Because I feel a shift. I've been feeling it for a couple years. Something is happening. The churches just eat and drink and be merry and go about their day. They're building the largest abortion clinic in the United States, not far from here. Our cities, people are walking around <coughs> naked. That's like naked, but from Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Our president quotes the Koran, but makes fun of the book of Deuteronomy. It's going to require more than dust to change this situation. Some of you may say, well, it's hopeless. It can't be changed. It can for the one or two or five or ten or ten thousand that you come into contact with. Tell me which one of them out there is not worth saving when compared to you. 
The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of God except... I'm sorry. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what He has freely given us. It's assumed that every Christian in every church has taken the free gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But it is not the kind of assumption that goes without evidence. In Acts 19, Paul showed up and said, Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? If Cornelius was not saved in Acts 10, how did he have a memorial in heaven? The Samaritans believed and were baptized, and then they saw something as people got filled with the Holy Ghost, and one man wanted to buy it. Saul believed the moment that he was blinded on the road because he became obedient to what the message said. But it wasn't until he was baptized in water, scales fell off of his eyes, that the Bible said he received the Holy Ghost. And how did they know he received it if they didn't see anything happen? Back to Acts 19, the believers in Ephesus, the same church that got the letter that said our Wrestling is not against flesh and blood, or struggle is not, but against spiritual powers and principalities. It was not enough for them to believe on Jesus. They needed to be filled with his power. And they were. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Maybe we shouldn't ignore it. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We are so dependent on the Holy Ghost that John 6.44 says you can't be saved if the Spirit of the Father doesn't draw you. Romans 8.9 says you are not a Christian if his Spirit is not in you in a manner of speaking. I'm not United Pentecostal. I'm not telling you that you need to produce a spiritual gift to prove to me that you're saved. I'm telling you you will never be a success in the kingdom if you want only part of God, the dignified part. We are so dependent upon Him to get His work done. He is so necessary. How dare us crave half of Him? Are you guys full gospel? We most certainly are not. Which part did you decide to leave out? Mm -hmm. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to anyone's judgment. When you have heard from God, that's between you and God. In fact, I want to warn you, if you come to counseling with me, with Matthew, with Steve, with any of the men that do that in this church, we will call into question your decisions. We will 
ask you to look at the Word and compare them, but when you pull out the Holy Ghost trump card and say, I heard from God, we're going to let you live with your decision and learn from it. So be careful how you use that. Because when a man has heard from God, nobody can rightly discern whether or not it's God's will. Would God kill his son? Would God spit a loogie in the mud and make an eyeball? Would God touch a leper? These were all things that were considered socially important God would never do, except he did. There is no substitute for hearing from God. No. What is the kingdom built upon, friends? The kingdom is built upon the fact that an ordinary man can hear from God. And it changes you into an extraordinary man. Amen. I would like to tell you that the infilling of the Holy Ghost is first and foremost a spiritual thing. There is no way to be business and dignified and be spiritual. You know why the business world is not dignified and spiritual? It's mere natural instinct. I'm not saying you can't wear a suit. I'm not saying you can't have good administrative skills. I'm saying if you only lean on your reason and your intellect, you will never be led by the Spirit because He's not limited by such things. And you are. The, whole, the filling of the Holy Ghost is not only spiritual, it's powerful. In Acts 1.8, He said you will receive dunamos, dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you. This took men who were sniveling cowards and made them mighty champions. In Acts 3.12, said that they received power. In Acts 4.7, power. Acts 4.33, power. Acts 6.8, power. Keeps going and going and going. And in a couple of the instances, men who had already been filled were in a difficult situation. And it says, and then filled with the Holy Ghost, they said. You get filled from the top down the first time. After that, you have a lifetime being filled from the well that is in you up and out. Because He places His Spirit in you and He never leaves you. So, well, I don't seek the gift. I seek the giver. I heard that forever in the Baptist church. Well, you need to explain how he is there, but he has never manifested himself in any way. The charismata are the manifestations of God's presence. I wanted to tell you that the filling of the Holy Ghost is spiritual, the filling of the Holy Ghost is powerful, but maybe most of all in this charismatic church, the Holy Ghost is practical. The Holy Ghost is not just an altered experience. The Holy Ghost and personality of Jesus the divine spirit of God is not so you can have a warm fuzzy. He is practical. He is so that you can be witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, into the ends of the earth. Second Peter says it this way. His divine power has given us everything we need. His divine power. If you're a mere man, you're only a man. Nothing else is in there. If you're a supernatural man, something has tainted your human nature. It's tainted it with the divine. What an upgrade. It's being swirled into you. It's like a well inside of you, washing out pollutants from within. When you pray, the edification, the building up, means that His Spirit is mingling with your spirit and driving out the things that should not be there. 
His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. He didn't call your glory. He didn't call your goodness. He called you by His glory and His goodness because you were something that He could fill and work through. Have you ever seen how He chose Israel? It was not because you were the most numerous or you were the best nation. I picked you because you were the weakest and most insignificant. That way when I filled you to the fullest, everybody would know it was me. This is why He chose us, friends. He chose Israel first. They are the bride of Christ. And you have been included in them. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That is 2 Peter 3, 4. And how dare us set it aside. In olden times, people wailed, cried, moaned, refused to leave the church building to the altar until they knew that they knew they had experienced the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Today we've reduced it to a warm, fuzzy experience that happens in a room where nobody sees you. I believe he's worth so much more than that. I believe that that divine union of God's nature and your nature ought to be celebrated like a wedding. I believe that I knew who Jesus was my entire life, but I had no power to walk with him until I got filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe that men like Smith Wigglesworth, who had done miracles, said they don't even know if they were saved before they got filled with the Holy Ghost. It felt so different. They obviously were saved, but something dramatically changed. Don't settle for the status quo. Don't sit back and only achieve what you can achieve in your own strength. The power of the Holy Ghost will take CJ, ruler back there, and make him knock down Goliath. The power of the Holy Ghost will take Nathaniel and make him a prophet to the nations. What you are able to do cannot even get you out of bed if the weather's bad on a rainy day. We need Him, and we probably haven't said it, acknowledged it, and depended on it enough. <coughs> My pastor used to say, if the Holy Ghost is not showing up in our services, let's put gas pumps out front. Let's just be honest about it and sell something for profit. Friends, I long for Moses' words to come true. I wish that all God's people would. I wish that everybody out here was confident that they were hearing from God and not depending on somebody else to do it for them. There are a lot of pastors that are great men of God. Amazing human beings. But in the end, if that's the end of the story, they were great men of God. They were great human beings. What did that do for you besides entertainment? The goal and the purpose of our preaching and teaching is to prepare you for the work God called you to do. 
And if the apostles weren't allowed to leave Jerusalem without the infilling of the Holy Ghost, should you really leave the building without the infilling of the Holy Ghost? Now we're thinking about it. I'm not going to beat up on you. Nobody ever fell in love with somebody because they were beat into it. My feeling is that some probably need to cogitate a word now. It is now. Cogitate it. Let it roll around and agitate the flesh a little bit. See if it grabs hold of their spirit. Don't you settle for less than everything that God has for you. Because He wants people that prophesy. People that raise the dead. People that have discerning of spirits. He wants these gifts here. Paul said they must be done for the edification of the body. Charismatic worlds reduced it to tongues. Maybe tongues and prophecy. The Pentecostal worlds made it a salvation issue, period. Nothing else. And the rest of the world has written it off completely as undignified. And I want to tell you they're all wrong. All what our king wants is our king wants you to drink deeply of him and never get your fill. And yet you're always satisfied. That's what he wants. If you honestly say you've done that, then walk out of here and don't worry about it. If you're not sure you've done that, this is worth thinking about. Because to go where we're going, on the flight we're on, you're going to need the power of the Holy Ghost or you're not going to be able to keep up. Yes, sir. And Matthew and I have learned the hard way we're not carrying people in the kingdom anymore. We're going to lead the way, but we're not going to carry you on the shoulders. We're going to turn and look at you and say, well, I guess you better go get filled with the Holy Ghost. Go get in this word. Learn what he says. Because God did not call me to nurse children. He called me to raise warriors. Amen. 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 Stand up and let's pray. And when I say that, everybody goes, oh, but it's over. <laughs> You were given some homework assignments. One of them was go find Jorge. That's worth doing. I watched him get filled with the Holy Ghost. Watched a little man in Mexico with nothing. Give Jorge all they had. A blessing. It was so powerful, Jorge fell down. He wasn't pushed. He was overcome with the power of the Spirit. That's a deposit in there that needs to be fanned into flame. That's what our brothers do. They fan us into flame. You give another homework. You got missions jars. Believing is only the beginning, saints. It's what we do after we believe that counts. If you're finding it hard to walk this Christian walk, if you're running with men and getting worn out, and you need to run with horses and chariots, maybe you need to drink deeper of the Holy Ghost. Okay. We're going to sing a song. Our service is dismissed as we're singing the song. So I'm not going to uh, keep doing that. Okay. There's not a, a car salesman. Only 24 more minutes before the sale ends. Mm -hmm. It's not what it is. I literally mean, if you've gotten what you need, go. We don't think badly of that. I know some of you got things to do. I want to leave the atmosphere able if somebody does want to come and get something they don't have. You understand what I mean? Yes. This is not an endurance contest to see how long you can be there. I expect that most of you, see, I'm letting you off the hook. I expect that most of you will smile, shake each other's hands, and go talk in the parking lot or in the other building. <coughs> but for somebody whose heart is twinging inside because you feel like you'll miss an opportunity, I don't want to let you down. 
I can close the service and go home. I've got other stuff to do. I've got other meetings to teach today. But my job is to make sure everybody is equipped for the work God called them to do. And if you